brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hi, welcome back to Soft Rep Radio. I am your host, Rad. I have a very special guest, actually a twofer. I got two on today. But before I introduce you to these two awesome individuals, I want to tell you about our merch store, right? You guys all know about it. You've been supporting it. We've been seeing the boxes get shipped out, and I'm really grateful for it. We got the holidays coming up. It keeps the fireplace going when you buy some of these cool items. Let's talk about the flashlight, because I never talk about the flashlight. Yes, I do. Let's move on from the flashlight, but check it out. It's super awesome. And also our book club, softrep.com forward slash book hyphen club. That's where you can get some knowledge, some brain food. Go check that out. Read some books. And, uh, you know, if you're not in our book club, go check out the band book club and read a band book. It's good for you. And without further ado, I have uh, retired Colonel Greg Gatson and Therese Schlachter. Did I say that right? You got it. Okay, right? I didn't ask you, did I? Well done. You didn't. No, you, I didn't. You winged that. I oh, did. Right here. Okay. It is Schlachter. More Schlachter. 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 Yeah, you okay, to your, your German. Use that German part of your right It's good. I will get Schlachter. I just Schlachter. need to see papers. Uh, yes, yeah. all your papers. Yeah. Yes, you are good. You may go. Okay, so now that we have the introductions out of the way, retired Colonel Greg, welcome to the show. And and Therese, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. I know a little bit about the story of what we're going to talk about. But wow, where do I start? Um, okay, first of all, let's just drop the book. It's called Finding Waypoints, A Warrior's Journey Towards Peace and Purpose. Now, Therese, as this warrior, oh wait, you are a warrior. I know this, but I know it's Greg that we're writing about. So Greg, you were in the military. You've succumbed to some injuries. Do you want to tell us about how we've got to this podcast and, uh, you know, go from there? Like, uh, let's, let's give you a question. How old were you when you enlisted in the military? I was 18. So you enlisted? Yep, I enlisted for one year. I went to the United States Military Academy Preparatory School. So I wasn't, uh, West Point felt that I needed to do a little bit more maturing and a little bit more academic study. So their prep school was for enlisted soldiers. And so I enlisted in the Army in July of 1984 and was in for just under a year after I was discharged. I went into uh, West Point that following summer. Jeez, that's, that's cool that you went to West Point. Actually, it's my favorite football team, all right? I live here in Utah, so yeah. the University of Utah is all over the place. You got BYU all over the place, but you know what? I'm not even from where West Point is, and I still like West Point. I think it's because Dad was a Green Beret, and then when I realized they're all on the line getting ready to scrimmage, they have their insignias, yeah. and I think that's hot. Yeah. Like, that's hot. It's like, I'm going to be a Ranger. You're like, oh, dude, man, I'm like, not... <laughs> The other guy on the other side, like the other nose lineman or whatever, he's like, is he airborne? I don't think so. You know, when the Army goes against Navy, what's on the Navy? I don't know. So, okay, so I have a breakdown of, you know, what was sent to me, which is why I wanted you on the show. So let me go through this, and and then I'll introduce Teresa here as well. So Colonel Greg Gatson's journey is humbling, healing, and inspirational. Finding Waypoints is a story of hope and recovery, a motivational biography told from inside one of our nation's military families who gave so much to this country and in the end, see their sacrifice as a blessing. So Colonel Gatson, since the early days of his injury, and they are, uh, Teresa's honored to call him a friend, the story will lift you up. 
Oh, no, excuse me. That's, this is from Gary Sinise, actor and founder of the Gary Sinise Foundation. I apologize for butchering that quote. What starts as a minute, a minute account, a disaster in a war zone quickly turns into an uplifting story of survival and tri- triumph in finding waypoints, a warrior's journey towards peace and purpose. Within eight months of losing his legs due to injuries sustained in Iraq, Gadsden mentored the New York Giants to their Super Bowl win in 2008. We would not have won without him, says Michael Strahan, former New York Giants defensive end and now co-host of Good Morning America. Hello. Okay. Emmy award-winning television producer Schlachter was working at the Pentagon Channel when she attended a press event at Walter Reed Army Medical Center's Military Advanced Training Center, known as MATC. In 2007, after a decade, after a decade covering national news for NBC and MSNBC in Washington, there the co-authors met for the first time. Their book is the result of their extraordinary relationship, a hybrid of biography and autobiography that tells the story of a man who survived the worst and has used his experience to enrich the lives of others. It was surprising and sad to me to see so many injured soldiers, but at the same time, it was mind-boggling, inspirational to hang around with them, she recalls. Gatson caught Schachter's attention that day at the, how do you say it, M-A-T-C? Is there Matsy. a short? Matsy. Matsy. Okay, at the Matsy. He had served in Baghdad during the surge. President George Bush's strategy intended to secure the country by clearing neighborhoods, supporting Iraqi military, and winning the trust of the civilian population. You were a part of that, huh, Greg? Yep. So hearts and minds was the goal. Yep. Yep. You know. Trying it. to get in there and say, and, and you know what? Honestly, I'm not trying to break, uh, interrupt this, uh, this, this awesome intro, but I mean, we were really there to try to say, hey, we're here for you. Right. It was very personal, you know, not like, uh, you know, not like a force on force, but this was. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to take uh, we had to take ownership of our neighborhoods and and we didn't do it as, you know, conquering Americans. We were working and partnered with Iraqi units on our side. You know, that's uh, and, and they're trying to bolster their credibility and teach them and learn and share, you know, mutually was, you know, ultimately uh, sort of the long term exit strategy for 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 achieving success. It's almost like we come in peace, but we got violence if we need it, but we didn't want to use it, but yeah, it wound yeah. up going real south real fast, right? With yeah. like the demise of the Bath Party through, I think, Bremer and, you know, firing every single Iraqi military personnel. And then they just dropped their uniform, yeah. took their pink slip and their AK and went home. And then we started calling them insurgents. Well, yeah. Right? And, you know, we dismantled the only functional part of the government, which was sort of the Bath Party and the military. The Congress. Yeah. And so, you know, what do you expect, you know, honestly? And I mean, obviously we're, we have hindsight. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure all the leaders actually listen to the experts. But anyway. Well, if they did, they would have sent someone over who <laughs> did speak Arabic, at least, to at least talk to the people versus, you know, Bremer, who had no understanding of the theater, who had no understanding of the language, of the culture, and just was like, you're all fired, you're all terrorists. Yeah. And I then you're over there I like, well, hey, you guys putting you in jeopardy. I a little Arabic in college as well, so. Oh, so you studied Arabic. Yeah. A little But bit. I mean, there's so... A little bit, right? Well, I mean, we should all have a little bit. I mean, I think political leaders should speak dialogues with, have that. I mean, at least speak Spanish. If you're going to be president of America, at least speak Spanish or Canadian. I mean, at least have another language. <laughs> Canadian. Canadian, yeah. Okay? I mean, come on, you know, some poutine is delicious, all right, up there, and some ketchup well, chips. If you knew how to say that, though, you'd get them laughing and have them on that, you know, I'm saying that rapport. But, hey, armchair quarterbacking, you know, isn't going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Now, let me finish. Now, Therese recounts the horrific night when Gadsden's convoy was hit. Let's see. Yes. 
So Therese recounts the horrific night when Gadsden's convoy was hit by an improvised explosive device, an IED, in Baghdad. Blown from his armored Humvee, also known as a high-mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicle, he lay bleeding out alone in the darkness until he was discovered by a member of the unit under his command. Grievously wounded, he was airlifted out and miraculously made it to the closest trauma center, eventually losing both legs and the partial use of one arm. Piecing together the part of the story Gadsden cannot remember, Schlachter describes thundering decibels, bleached from beneath the front right tire of the Humvee, lifting the side of the 10-ton truck, hammering the clear night air. Wow, yeah, it's just no sound, and all of a sudden, boom, just night air, uh, just ruptured. White searing light glowed and flickered like an old-time movie, revealing shrapnel and smoke, driving them horizontally through the cab. Metal, plastic, the sonic force piercing the night, shredding, rubber, bending steel, Three 130-millimeter artillery shells penetrated the cocoon so carefully woven by the security cordon. Chaos spilled out. Man, sir, colonel, thank you for your service. Okay. I love how you explain what happened to you just in this little paragraph that you guys sent to me. Yeah, Therese. I mean, you're talking about a 10-ton Humvee up-armored. So heavy. So heavy. Like, probably a normal jack may not lift it up. So heavy that this IED was able to... Just flip it like a penny. Seems like how you write it. Yeah, I don't know. That, I don't know that it flipped. It it it, no, it kept going. It, yes. went, so it went forward. So it just like it, threw it, it up it, and it, it boom. Yeah, but lifted up a little bit, but it blew my door open, and, oh, and obviously I came out. You were in the right side, right? Because yep. you're as a you're in charge of the vehicle. Yeah, that's right. Because the right side of a of a vehicle is the person in charge of the vehicle, right? Yeah. So if there's a private in the vehicle on the right side and there's a colonel driving, is he in charge? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're just going to hold that tight right there. Yeah. He was thrown so far from the vehicle that no one knew where he was for a bit. Yeah. In fact, the right. guys Could in it... the vehicle didn't know I was missing, right? It was right. First Sergeant Johnson. That, yeah. um... Oh, give him a shout out. Yeah. First Sergeant Johnson. Yeah, First Sergeant Johnson. He was the senior uh, non-commissioned officer in my, in, in my, uh, in my patrol that night. He was actually uh, my acting uh, battalion command sergeant major because my sergeant major was on uh, was on emergency leave. So, A, he was the one that realized that uh, I was missing and ultimately the first one to find me as well. Yeah, he went looking. He's like, yeah. your boss ain't here. Where's yeah. he at? Like, where's Greg? Well, there's I'm a sure distraction, it... too, because the interpreter had been wounded. So That's the people my... in the truck, yeah. I love it. The people in the truck were um, focused on... The, the interpreter, Mike Oro, mm -hmm. yep. who had uh, wounded, his, wounded his, his leg. Yeah. leg. And no one, that's why for a minute, no one realized. That right. And he just assumed that I was up checking on him as well or whatever. And so. Um, yeah, they figured you probably got out, walked around, assessed the situation, making yeah. sure there's not an ambush, looking in different directions. Like, are we, are we the bait now that we've been blown up? Yeah. You know, because now all of a sudden everybody starts triaging and right. that's, you know, everybody's like kind of vulnerable because they're trying to fix their own and you might have people around using that as an opportunity to bro. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, you were just wounded off in the dark. What do you recall? Well, I recall being blown out of the vehicle. I definitely kind of remember that. And, and then like when I hit the ground, I rolled a couple of times and, and ended up on my back and I was, um, I was pretty pissed. Like I, I knew what had happened or I knew what it was. Like I was just like, you know, honestly, I was like, son of a, I said a bunch yeah. of curse words. And then uh, very quickly, th those thoughts of anger 
you know, shifted to the realization that, hey, I was wounded. I was on my back. I could not move. And I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew it was, I knew it was bad. And I, and uh, honestly, the last thing I remember thinking or saying to myself was, God, I do not want to die here. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Did you feel like uh, you, did you feel, I mean, did you feel wounded or were you just kind of just like dazed? Well, I was, no, I knew I was wounded because I, mm-hmm. I but I didn't know what, I didn't know where, mm-hmm. at least it's not anything I can remember, but I was just, I don't remember calling out for help or anything. I was just like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm in trouble. I knew I was, I just sort of from a gut perspective, I fundamentally yeah. knew I was in trouble and then everything just kind of goes blank. And then, um, first Sergeant, first, first Sergeant Johnson found me. And one of the things that I don't remember was he was trying to resuscitate me. And apparently I had punched him like three times. I don't remember that at all, but I remember him being really close to my face and I was having trouble kind of focusing and I could hear his voice. I, I don't recall anything he was saying, but then um, I started to kind of come to and again realize that you know, this was not a good situation. And I remember hearing a bunch of voices, and they're obviously uh, trying to get organized uh, to a protect our my vehicle or protect me, but then uh, get me in a vehicle so they can evacuate me. And I remember them trying to pick me up, and I was so bloody that they couldn't get a good grip on me. So I, they took off some of my clothes, if I remember correctly. Er, yeah, yeah, Eric Brown actually was a medic in the vehicle behind. And he was the one who, Put the who Put yeah, the Johnson called for him. And he figured Aura would be okay because he was tending to him. And then he came over and began tending to Greg and really saved his life yeah. by putting the tourniquets on Greg. And, I, and I don't yeah, remember just... that at all. I, I don't remember the tourniquets at all being put on my legs. But I remember... When they were trying to put me in a vehicle, and I, that was the first time I basically like saw my leg kind of on my lap. Yeah, then you're I like that's my like, leg. Yeah, I was like, okay, so this, so now I had some idea what was wrong with me, and then I, I started to, I, I, I think if I wasn't in shock, I probably probably started going to shock, and I was saying I, I was complaining that I couldn't feel my legs and. Mm-hmm. First Sergeant Johnson was he was trying to keep me calm. I was pretty um I was pretty ex- pretty excited. And he had the presence of almost mind, like give me back up. Yeah. He had the presence of mind though, which was interesting to remember that you started every morning with a prayer and Eric Brown had said the soldier's prayer at one point and you liked it. Mm-hmm. And you had you were together enough that you could, looked at Eric and knew that he was the soldier's prayer guy and you asked him to say it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, so when I'm in the vehicle and we're, um, I think we're moving, my, my head is, I think, kind of in the lap of uh, Private Brown, Eric Brown. And uh, and I, I, I re- like Therese said, I asked him to, to say that soldier's prayer. So, um, and so he did, and he bestowed that upon you. And, uh, yep. you know, there is the power of hands. You know, I'm a believer in that. My father used to lay them on us when we were sick or ill and say words from our church and make us feel good. And, you know, and I believe that that's all inside of us. And I'm proud of the private for being able to recite that to you in such a stressful moment so that you could have calmingness in your mind. And here you are today. And it's a team, man. Like everybody there really cared about you. And I, I care about you and I've just met you. And, and the story that you're telling me right now is just like, yeah, you know, this guy's okay. Yeah. So there's this guy here that needs our attention. 
attention. Man, I have a friend who uh, lost both his legs and half of one of his arms. And when I was reading this, it just kind of hit home. He used to work with me at my shop here. And uh, he went into a, a room in Iraq and they, they opened the fridge and it was full of munitions and it just went off, you know, because they were hungry and they were doing something dumb. They were looking for food. So they opened up the fridge. Boom. He said his buddy had immediately lost the right arm in the explosion. So a really bad shock for him because he realized, oh, I am wounded. Right. But my buddy's like, I still had my legs when they took me. I still had my attachments. And then when I finally got to like, uh, you know, uh, triage, that's when it started to sink in that they're taking the legs and et cetera. And I'm sure that's probably kind of the same thing. When you realized it was, they were putting you in and you saw your leg, that probably right there, you know, up until that point, you didn't realize that. Yeah, no, I didn't know what was wrong, but that's when I, that was when I realized that it was my legs that was wounded. I think one of the things that Therese brings out is that at least, and I've since talked to uh, medical personnel, is that I was in a lot of pain. I mean, and it was no, I mean, just, and I was, uh, I was showing it, but I, yeah. you know, I have no recollection of that at all. I just pushed it behind your brain. The pain was just so much more that you're just like, whatever's thinking. It's just letting everyone's just knowing you're alive in pain. Pain lets you know you're alive. Yeah. Right. My dad used to tell me, Hey, if you're hurt, you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel it, you're still alive. Right. Yeah. So, oh, wow, man. So, you wind up going to what, like a Bagram or some type of field? No, we, so we were in Iraq. So we went back uh, to the to the cache in the green zone first. So I went for, first. We went back to where I had departed, which was was uh, which was uh, Ford Operating Base Falcon. So I mean, like I had just left the memorial service on my way back to my headquarters for for two young men who had been killed a few days earlier, and so. I was already in a pretty melancholy mood when I got hit. So we just doubled back there. And uh, there, the uh, we were. I was really lucky that it was a Monday. And that was the day that all the brigade docs got together to play games. I, I was the only one that had come in there that night, or, or the first at least. And, and so every doctor in the brigade was there. And they were essentially tending on me. So they were trying to get me stabilized for a medevac to come in and um, and uh, pick me up. That helicopter would take me to the green zone where uh, where I was operated on, and then from there to Balad and, and Balad to Germany, and then Germany to uh, to Andrews Air Force Base where I got to Walter Reed. So I still had my legs that through that whole trip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until after I got to the states where where things became a little bit challenging. Decisions had to be made. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, at least you were able to like be a part of that, right? Yeah. Half of it. One of them yeah. I was, one of them I wasn't, but yeah. Interesting oh, part yeah. of that, the first stop, they brought him in and he was combative still. And um, his commanding officer was there telling him to calm down. And it was a, um, for show, it was uh, one of the nurses. Yeah. Yeah. Was was uh, Faroe. Yeah. Thank you. Was trying to get a glove, his glove off, and Faroe was wearing plastic gloves, and they were bloody, and his glove was bloody, and he couldn't get it off. He kept sliding. Yeah. And and Greg <laughs> like sits up and looks at him and says, "If you can't get that expletive Did glove off, how are you gonna save my life?" Oh yeah. And it just yeah. scared him enough that he took that glove off. He just took that glove right off. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you take that glove off and save my life. Uh, yes, sir. And I smiled at him. When I said it. So I, I said it with a little sense of humor. So it's sort sure. of, 
it's really kind of, it, it feels like me, it sounds like me, but again, yeah, I have I zero recollection of it. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> it's you. You're still you, and those things that everybody loves about you, you even through the worst of it, you're still you with a big old smile. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, considering, right, you know, to smile about, you know, your adversity, and, and now you've you fought to stay in the military. They wanted to kind of out you once you got injured, right? They're well, like, hey. it, let's. Uh, I, I would characterize it as you know, like again, you have to be fit, right? And so, yes, obviously, with my injuries, I knew that I would ultimately be be found unfit. And so, I think you know, for ninety nine percent of us, you know, that is sort of the typical path. But you know, I uh, I was fortunate that because I had in a, a number of years enough to qualify that if I could make an argument that I could still contribute, that I could continue to serve in a, in a, in a uh, meaningful manner, then I could be extend, I could be allowed to stay on active duty. And so, you know, I, I had to go through the, the medical process, A, to kind of document. Well, they probably wanted to rate you out with a medical evaluation board. Yeah, you had to go yeah. through every rating and yeah. get, you know, rated. Yeah, and go through all that. And then, uh, so once that, uh, you know, once that, uh, that course went through, then, um, you know, I was fortunate to get, uh, support from my chain of command to be able to, uh, to stay in. And, and so just uh, a few months shy of three years from being wounded, uh, the army approved for me to stay, uh, to stay in. How old were you when this was going down? When I was 41 years old when I was wounded. And, okay. And what year was this? 2007. 2007 so i'm 46 16 years ago so i'm 57 and you're looking good yeah you holding it well (laughs) okay so you were just still you're 41 and uh lieutenant colonel at the time oh yeah bird yeah Yeah. lieutenant colonel man wow i'm just soaking it in forgive me i think my listener is too you know it's just like an epic tale and uh, i appreciate you for sharing this and and therese uh what's your thoughts when you hear such things like you know being told you're you're a writer i am and you do a good job and you like to like i see how you write you like to write about like the details of the situation or how bloody the glove was and how bloody his glove was and the fact that the blood and the blood slipping off of each other's hands can't pull off his glove like i think i love that thank you like your mindset there that detail and that's what you bring to this book thank you it's uh i got a lot of help with a lot of interviews because obviously i was not there and Greg right. doesn't remember. So the doctors and the nurse and a number of people who were involved, all, um, I think, three of the people who were in the truck that exploded with you and Eric Brown and Frederick Johnson, they all did interviews with me and helped me put together. Brad Bandy yeah, was who's in. A doc- uh, yeah, Brad was, Brad was, uh, he was in charge. After he was he my company commander. Yeah, he was senior guy. Um, he Brad Woods was a surgeon. Helped me with the forensics. Brad Woods was a surgeon at the in the green zone, and the, everyone, you know, all I had to do was drop Greg's name, and they were incredibly helpful in helping me piece the story together. And I wanted that level of detail. I was, that's that's how I wanted to put it together. I wanted yeah. people to understand as much as possible, you know, what what had happened and what people go through. Well, your descriptions kind of play out like a movie in my head. So it's sometimes when you read a book, I don't quite get the cinematic like detail. I have to like really read it maybe twice. But you know, with what we're talking about here, it just you just bring it together and capture his story. And 
and you seem to have been there. I feel like I can look at you and, and get the same thing from him. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, cause you're like, it was Johnson. And he's like, Oh yeah, Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, we've talked yeah, about it was... a lot. And, and I actually <laughs> got to meet uh, Johnson in person. At, is it at your retirement or your yeah, my, uh Either or, yeah, yeah. Or maybe both. Yeah. I don't know if he was at both. Yeah. Uh, you, did you ever meet Brad in person too or no? I never met Brad in person. Brad Woods or Brandy? Brad Woods I did meet in person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Shout out to Brad Woods. What's up, Brad Woods? Well, you know, there's another interesting thread uh, from, you know, the the, sort of the West Point connection. So I literally had one of my teammates that found out I was wounded that was able to fly with me all the way from from Baghdad to Germany. That was as far as they let him go. Like literally a, a teammate. Brad Woods was at West Point two. Uh, we had we were at West Point two of his uh, years, and I guess they recognized me uh, from football or somebody. Did, did someone recognize me? Somebody, Al, yeah. Al Beakley was Al Beakley. one of the surgeons and was not operating on Greg, but was there and recognized Greg and said, "Hey, he used to put a hurt on me when we were scrimmaging." Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. was somebody oh, so, actually yeah. played against. Then other teammates. When I get to when I get to Walter Reed. Um, well, Will Huff yeah. came so you know flew into Baghdad. Yeah. To he, meet you in Baghdad. That's when he traveled with. Yeah, he commandeered a helicopter. Well, he commandeered he a helicopter, right? Yeah, to come. <laughs> well, Will's locker was next to Greg's at West Point. Yeah, that's literally how close we were. That's legit. Yeah. I want a locker at West Point. God, that's so awesome. You're so awesome. I know that you've been through a lot, but that West Point thing really just stands out to me, man. That is awesome. And congratulations on succeeding through that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah once not in a while, easy. someone slips through the crack. So the castle, right? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a fortress, bro. I mean, you know, a, a friend of mine, a former Green Beret, Jason Van Camp, you know, he also played football over there uh, around the same time as you, I think. I was just thinking if, uh, you guys cross paths. The, names, the name sounds kind of familiar, but Van Camp. Yeah. If you look it up, Van Camp later on, you might find him. He's out there. You might, oh, okay. That guy. <laughs> Tenth group Green Beret. Okay. <laughs> See, that's what's so cool about West Point is that you have like <laughs> what was your badge on your uniform? We weren't doing that back then when not. So that's something that's been fairly recent. We I think we used to do it for the Army Navy game. And maybe that's where I've seen it, you know, is the Army-Navy well, game, where they have, like, I think the credentials they, of what you're going to be. They have a patch from every, well, the, all the major units. So each each week, you know, we wear a patch from a, a major Army organization. Oh, okay. Uh, so, but um, when I played we for the Army-Navy game, that's when we would all, we would wear different patches to represent all the, the major units in the army. So I see, I see. Ironically, I think my senior year I had, um, I think one year I had the 25th and I think one year I had, uh, the first infantry division, which was the the division that I was serving in when I got wounded. Yeah. Right. That's so legit. I just love it. Sorry. I don't mean to get hung up on that. I know there's a wonderful book that you've written, but I mean, football, right. And it's West point, it's West point football and you're a, you're a rock star. Okay, and so that's so awesome. Now, huh, a lot me. of the, the what you were talking about is, I mean, that's a thread through the book because these West Point people keep cropping yeah. up. Once you got Dr. to Walter Reed, Paul Pasquina, Doctor Paul Pasquina, took he was the head of PMR, right? Physical Medicine Rehab, right. Was another one of my teammates. Yeah. So everybody, and they're that, that what a family. Yeah. Okay, so cool. 
So cool. Now, now let's talk football again. So here we are. And, and I read the 2008. They needed you there for the Giants, the New York Giants, right? Am I saying that right? Well, again, another, uh, I hate that we come back to West Point. So I had one that summer while I was recovering, one of my uh, classmates and teammates uh, come to visit me. And as uh, his name was Mike Sullivan, and he was a coach for the New York Giants, uh, the wide receivers coach. And, uh, and so that season st- started in the fall of 2007, and the Giants were uh, started out 0-2 that season and were coming to, to town to play the then-called Washington Redskins, who were undefeated. And Mike uh, wanted to run the idea of me talking to the team by Coach Coughlin, so he asked me first if I'd be willing to do it. And, and you know, I wasn't a, a speaker at that point, but my um, – you know, my teammate asked me to do something, and, you know, I said, you know, why not? And so right. I agreed, and and so I was able to kind of share, you know, you know, some of what I went through and my perspectives about, you know, performing and, and you know, just fighting as a team and for each other, and and it it uh, it resonated uh, with the team, and and um, and so they began to turn things around, you know, ultimately you know, win in the Super Bowl that season. A little motivation goes a long way. Some inspiration, you know, it's like, hey, you know, what are we really sitting in this locker room with our heads down for? Yep. Put your heads up, like, you know, come on. You have it good. You have to just go out and, and give your effort as a team to win this football game, right? I mean, like, you're, you're I want to go win a football game for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you too, Therese, I do. I just want to go and be the best I can be so you know that I also will take what you've given me today in our conversation and I'll take it to my heart and try to apply myself as a good person as well. So, you know, I think that you do have a good platform to be able to speak and motivate and you're going to hear it all the time. You're going to, the guy that works for me all the time, man, he's like, if I don't hear it three times a day, Rad, I, I don't hear that I'm an inspiration enough. You know, he's like, if I don't, you know, he was always in his chair and, you know, always moving around. Everyone's like, how come you're so happy all the time? How come you're always so moving around? He's like, because I'm here, man. And I'm talking to you, man. So like, let's live life, man. You know, and uh, I mean, there is that point, right, where you just have to live life and you have to just keep moving forward. Yeah. And you just can't just can't let it take you down. Yeah. I think in the book, you reached that point, I think, at Walter Reed. They had started to rehab you and you've gone through some mm-hmm. some emotional things. Oh, yeah, for sure. But um, you out on the other side and, yeah. and there was just a point where you said an expletive it. I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm yeah. just going to do it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. do it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a decision. Yeah. You can't sure. scare everybody away that wants to help you. Let them help you. You can't scare them away. What you were was what you were. What you are today is what you are today. And so if it takes an extra hand to help you out, then accept that extra hand to help you out. Right. That's just how. Well, yeah. But, you know, Therese reminded me of this yesterday. But, you know, when, when it's all kind of said and done, you, you know, you, you're not defined, you know, a lot of us define our, our lives by, by what we do or what we've accumulated or what we have. Mm-hmm. There's some identity, there's something external that we identify ourselves with. And, and I, you know, before I was wounded, I probably felt like I identified myself, especially, you know, my physical presence and that all changed. But you know, it also helped me realize that I was more than that, that I was actually, I was, you know, I still have a physical presence. It's very different, but I control that. 
Yes. Not, not anyone else. And, no. and um, you know, again, you know, I can't say any better than Maya Angelou that said that, um, you know, people won't remember what you said. They won't remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so that's who you are. That's how I, I hope that sort of think of myself is, is, is about how I treat people. And I love that. No, I do. I do. And that's how I feel is I love that. I love that analogy because I also feel that I've stood behind enough microphones at eulogies to talk about the people that are right next to me that can't talk no more. I'm like, how many times have I stood behind this microphone in the same place? Like oh, where all my family have passed or whatever. It's like constantly on the microphone. It's like, you know, that's not the place for a family reunion. It's not a place where we want to gather, but we do gather. So it's like, you got to live life to the fullest and live it today. And then, and then, and then if you wake up tomorrow, then you live tomorrow and you just keep moving forward and just try to make positive relationships because what, what can you take with you? You know, nothing, nothing goes with you. Not that I can say you can leave a lot. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. I I love that. And, and this book is going to hit home on that. Right. And it's out right now. So we've got it out. It's out just in time for everybody to go pick it up and just put you right at the top of New York Times bestsellers list. Ain't that right? Go Ain't that it. right? Go See, I it. love that thumbs up. We want it there. <laughs> My listener needs to go buy that book, yeah. right? Buy it and buy it and leave a review, right? So up? go, what's that? You got, you got the book? Can you hold it up? I don't have the book. You don't have it? No. Oh, I thought they sent you one. They t- no, I'm, I'm good, but listen to me go, right? I'm okay. Right. But... I will tell you right now that if anybody wants to look up the book, the title of the book is Finding Waypoints, A Warrior's Journey Towards Peace and Purpose. And so basically, as my daughter tries to sneak behind me <laughs> to go to the mall <laughs> with my wife, who I love, the, the book is something that you should just go check out. I mean, a waypoint is typically, you know, here's a map. Here's all these different places you have to go. Those are considered waypoints and you navigate towards those. And so I love how you've incorporated finding waypoints because you're like, (sighs) (laughs) well, what's what's the the cliche life is about the journey, not the destination. And and so that's that's, to me, that's part of what, you know, you find it's the, it's it's the journey uh, that is, is that enriches your life, not the destination. You're right. You're right. You know, geez, what a great, Great conversation to have today. My, my day, you're a great cup of coffee, the both of you. I, I'm really thrilled with, uh, you know, uh, your demeanor and just, you know, reading a book, reading a book goes a long way. And the story that you're telling about your journey and that you've actually, that you're telling about his journey, I just, I can't write. I really respect you. I just want you to know, okay, Therese. And yes, you're very welcome. And congratulations on all your success in the past and in the future with where this book is going. And, how do you, are you still working with the football team, uh, Colonel? Are you still uh, no. doing anything along those lines? Yeah, no, I'm not, uh, not right now. He does a lot of re- motivational speaking all over the country, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a lot. He travels hap- constantly on an airplane, right? Yeah, yeah, I live on an airplane. So. so what would you tell, what would you tell the airlines that you would like them to fix for you as you're getting ready to travel <laughs> to your next flight? Go ahead. You never know who's listening. Yeah, um. They, 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 you know, those folks, they do their best. Uh, you know, they get beat up for a lot of things that they don't, uh, they don't control, which is, uh, you know, which is not fair. Um, but sometimes you wish they would just, they would, uh, 
they would fess up to the things they do control and, and you know sure. and, and be out and you know be 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 transparent about uh is it pretty easy on. to get your chair through the terminals and like oh, yeah, get into yeah. there? No, I've, I've got that down to a science. So that's, you, okay. know, you know, no pun intended, but that's how I roll. That's how I roll. Yeah. So you're like, okay. So just like a stroller, they just leave it right there. You just get all the way down to the door. No, yeah. And... No, I like, I roll right <laughs> into the plane and then I, yeah. I hop out on my butt and get to my seat and then they'll and take they, it away from you. Yeah. yeah. And they fold it up. They put the cushion inside the cabin and, and sometimes, mm-hmm. if I'm on a big enough airplane, they can keep it on the they can keep it on the plane, but not they just put it under and I get it on the other side. These are the questions my listeners want to know. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. like that's real, that's real. Well, you know, no, about- you'd be, it's uh, <laughs> they really aren't unusual questions. They're, um, you know, how I get in cars, how I drive, I, I drive sure. with my hands. How do you, you do? You have a gas pedal on your steering wheel that turns? Uh, no, no, I have one that's a it's a lever. It's a separate mm-hmm. lever that can I pull down to accelerate and I push in to brake. And then we, uh, there's a steering knob. Uh, if you're old enough to remember, they used to be called suicide knobs. Yeah, I do. And, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's that's how I can positively, positively control my uh, so steering. So you're just rolling like this. Yeah, with one, yeah, with one hand. So. Yeah, I love it. I'm so glad that you're still able to go out and enjoy that and drive and freedom. That's freedom, right? Cause you know, um, with your legs, yeah. at least you can get, you're still mobile. You can go where you want to go. And, uh, I'm sure the VA helps you out with your needs with your vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. They equip, they uh, cover the equipment of my vehicle. In fact, here's a pretty, uh, funny story. You know, Teresa and I have, uh, we've made some trips together and, and, and she, my driving, uh, uh, might be another story for her, but so we, uh, yeah, we, we, we need some gas. Favorite. So um, uh, we got to get some gas, and you know, so she gets out of the car. So look, you know, big, you know, big guy in the, and she gets out to pump my gas, and you should see some of the looks it's that funny. people give us when she's getting out to pump the gas, and I'm just sitting in the vehicle. Yeah, right. You're just like chilling, like yeah. That's what is it? Is it filled yeah. up yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gonna Sometimes give me a drink too? Even that you gonna give me a drink? Hey, hurry up! Hey, hurry up! Hurry up! Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's hilarious. Don't go over twenty two bucks. <laughs> like what? Right, and, but and if they I'm don't by know. myself, if I'm by myself and I'm trying to get some help, you know, imagine like I'm sitting in my vehicle and I said, "Hey, you want to pump my gas?" And you're like, "What the hell is your problem?" People you you don't, don't know. People don't see the. He's got a purple heart plate, but you don't see that when he's. No. Get it from the side. Right. All you see is this big guy in there with these arms. You're like, why can't you pump your own gas, dude? And, and some if I people come are over just there, like, you're going to grab Some me. people are just introverted and they're like, are you even talking to me? I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> you're like, uh, hello. But all you're wanting is like, hey, could you help me pump my gas? Right. Right. <laughs> like Oregon, Oregon, it's, there's unions that require you. I don't know if they changed it recently, but they pump your gas. No, I think, yeah, Jersey. maybe they changed. Oregon and New Jersey were the last and two New Jersey. that popped, uh, pumped your gas. Yeah. That's right. So if you pull up, it has to be someone handling it for you. Yeah. Totally makes sense, though. You know, there should be, though, uh, ADA lane. You know, well, if you pull they have up them, in that lane. They have the stickers, but I tell yeah. you, especially convenience stores, a lot of times, especially late in the evenings, I have to be mindful on, on trips when I'm by myself, is that hmm. they only have one person in the store. Right. A lot of times they don't want to leave the store. Especially if someone's in it, they can't. And so, but they have these buttons that say, push if you need assistance. I'm telling you, better than 50% of the time, they can't assist. It don't work. 
They, they no. won't and they can't. Yep, exactly. And I've pushed that button and I have legs. Okay. I'm like, hello, hello, my debit card. Hello. It's like, please see cashier. And I'm like, okay, well, I can just walk right in to go see cashier. But you know, that's just an, that's a whole yeah. other journey to get in there to have to get situated and you barely got to the button. Yeah. You see the world with a different set of uh, eyes or experiences yes. uh, when your mobility is compromised. Now, you said you wound up going to Balad. Is that the uh, IED? No, so Balad was where that was the air base that uh, uh-huh. that we were evacuated out of theater from. With an air, I... So the air medevac. So the Air Force was responsible for getting me back to the States. So the Army moved, um, a helicopter picked me up and moved me to the Green Zone and then from mm-hmm. the Green Zone to Balad. And then I see 17 from Balad to Longstool and, Jer- and Longstool to Andrews Air Force Base. See, I had a client here because I own an indoor airsoft warehouse with a shoot house inside where we do war games, etc. Yeah. And uh, it's right outside Hill Air Force Base. And uh, one day I had a young man, 19 years old, collapse. And I had ceasefire, ceasefire. And I'm like, why? And they're like, man down. I'm like, oh, that's a ceasefire. So we turned our lights back on in the arena because it was a lights out situation. And we went over and there was this young man. Six foot four, blonde hair, blue eyes, just a ball of combat gear in the corner that had just collapsed on himself. Uh, I said, all right, uh, everybody that's non-essential, go back into the staging area so we can get taken care of, you know, because we were crowded. Everybody wants to help so bad, right? I'm like, hey, non-essential, let me just get some air here. Uh, One guy's like, I'm a doctor. Except for you, you can stay, I said. (laughs) You can stay, you're a doctor. Turns out, so we're sitting there stripping the young man's gear off of his chest, unbuckling all of his plate carrier, his helmet, stretching him out on the floor so we can get to him because he's literally a ball that collapsed. Well, it turned out he had a AFib of his heart that turned into like a V-fib. So he basically had a heart attack standing, just ready to play airsoft, just collapsed. So he comes up to me later, that ER doc, and he goes, Rad, I know I was looking for some realism in here, but I didn't expect this real, right? And I was like, why? And he's like, well... I was the first doctor that anybody in Iraq who was blown up would see. They would come to me. And he was a major. And his son was in there playing. So it was a father-son team playing. And I didn't know he was a major, nor the Balad ER doctor at the time. And I think it was around the same time you were there. I'm just trying to think what his name was. It was escaping me. But your story is just resonating in his story with, I'm the first guy that people see when they hit an IED. That's what he told me. And I was like, this whole time talking, I'm wondering... If my same guy is the guy that was there, because let's see, this is about 2017 that he was in my shop and I think he'd been out for about 10 years. So it's right around that same time frame. You know, we were just chit chatting, but it's guys like that, that are just among us every day that can just, you know, say, Hey, I'm a doctor. Let me help you. He's that same guy that was probably over there saying, I'm here to help you. Right. It's just these people in uh, everyday civilian clothes. That's your neighbor, the soccer coach, you know, the, the cafeteria lady, they might all be serving in the guard or in a reserve unit or in some type of a, you know, a military unit. And you don't even realize it. These people are all around us, right? We're kind of surrounded by good people who do selfless things. And then when the call to arms happens, like yourself, you were active duty, right? 24 seven ready to go on a moment's notice. And, uh, and off you went. Right. And I just want to, I just want to kind of point out, I don't know what, like we're surrounded by kindness of people who have chosen to swear an oath to us to, to defend us so we can live underneath the flag and the constitution that, you know, our forefathers put together for us to have a successful future. And I just want to say thanks again for, for what you gave, because you gave, you didn't. Yes, you gave. 
and you did give. You almost gave your whole, your whole self. You gave whatever you could, and about fifty percent of it. Hundred, yeah, bro. Wow, you know, <laughs> about fifty percent. You know, my dad always said, "I don't want a purple heart," and I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "I don't want one." He's like, "I just don't want it." He was like, "How can you don't have a purple heart?" He's like, "The enemy's marksmanship badge." Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, he's like, why would I want that? And, uh, and I just said, yeah, you know, a green beret. That's his, that's him. Right. And like I said, I love my dad so much. He's a part of who I am. I have to spit out some of his, uh, his jokes. So you get my dad jokes. <laughs> I get it. It's true. It's true. Now, again, um, do you see this coming into like a movie or like a series? Do you have, aspirations for this do you know anyone i mean <laughs> warner brothers maybe you know i was in let's see universal so i did firestarter rekindle for mm. sci-fi channel i play i'm just shouting out i'm trying to know someone for you do you see this we're, brandon we're, webb do you know someone we would certainly <laughs> be open but it's not in the plan interesting yeah but it would win an oscar because i'll star yeah who would play you <laughs> no you. i'm gonna play the colonel oh you gonna play him I'm the actor. Okay. <laughs> See, Daniel Day Lewis. Come on, Daniel Day Lewis says Obama. Have you not seen that yet? No, no I haven't seen. That. I heard. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You have got to go see. So, okay, for my listener and for you, go look up Steven Spielberg makes Obama the movie. Okay. And Daniel okay, Day Lewis plays who? O- Obama. He said. That's crazy. You have to watch the. Yeah, you you have to watch the, Barack Obama. Oh, I guess so. Yes, that's correct. That's wow. And you should see who plays Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> I'm letting you in on this. this I'm real. Like this a is comedian. just a. This sounds, Woody a... No, 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 no. You no. have to watch it. You after we're done, look up Tommy Steven, Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Steven <laughs> Spielberg. Steven Spielberg makes Obama the movie. Okay. And Spielberg's in it. He's like, you know. So here we are. We're coming up with the idea. How do we make Obama? How do we capture Obama? I'm sitting here thinking, what actor can capture Obama? And he's just going through all of it. And he's like, well, Daniel Day-Lewis, Gangs of New York, uh, uh, Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, yeah. He's he's going all like, you know, the chameleon himself. And the next thing you know, he's like, hello, Ohio. You need to see that little skit. Wasn't he in, uh, what's the one um, uh, that's in Italy and Venice? Uh, the Merchant of, Ga- the, was it The Merchant of Venice? Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, oh, is that always- the, the one where he gets sent to that island? Uh, they, um, uh, so they, convicted like- him, they convicted him and the guy steals his wife or something or says he's know. dead. This I, it's worth saying it on the show. I I think you guys will both like it and laugh at it and say, "Rad, what the hell did you just send to us?" Right? <laughs> you just have to look it up on YouTube. Okay, we'll Spielberg makes Obama. Probably, it was done during COVID. Hmm. Oh, Spielberg's in it. They're interviewing him about the movie. Okay, but it's Spielberg. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if there's anyone out there that can make a movie, Spielberg. See, I'm trying to hook you up, Spielberg. We're putting that out there. Anton, when you watch this and you, and you write all this down for producing for me, Anton, link Spielberg in it somehow. Okay. (laughs) Now I have laughed with you, almost cried with you, internally felt emotion for you. 
I've praised your writing. I think you're fabulous, uh, Therese. I like how you describe things. And I want to just <laughs> give a shout out since I've had you for about an hour of our time, which is Finding Waypoints, A Warrior's Journey Towards Peace and Purpose by Therese Schlachter and Colonel Gregory D. Gatson, retired army. You know, uh, it's been such a, a great time having you on my show and just having an organic, candid conversation with you about, you know, your book coming out that's already out and just trying to at least drive one of my listeners to go check out your book and, and, and read your inspirational story. It'd be cool if two of you did it, though. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah. Well, I, I would well, love to see you. it on the New York. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and close the show out by just saying it's been a wonderful joy to have Greg and Therese on the show. I hope you guys stay best friends for a very long time. And, you know, on behalf of myself and Brandon Webb, and that gives me this job, I want to say peace from all of us here at SoftReb, uh, SoftReb.com. And remember to uptrain yourself for violence so that you can downgrade yourself for humility. Okay? All right. And with that said, I say peace. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.